Another sip. <laughs> hey, y'all. Welcome to Water Break with Waterboy. It's going to be with you guys on this Thursday evening. Uh, don't forget, we're going to be in Fort Worth next week. So there's going to be no Water Break next week because I'm going to be in Fort Worth. We're doing a live live show. See if you can see the whole shirt. I'm going to be doing a live show with uh, Pastor Wilson, Dr. Peter McCullough, and uh, Chad Prather in uh, Fort Worth. Really excited about that. You will be able to see it on the Sunday special, so don't worry. You won't miss it, even though tickets are sold out and all that stuff. You'll still be able to see it on Sunday night. With that said, the next show you can actually catch us at is with comedian John Branion, Gary DeMar, Larry Mm -hmm. Elder, and Rapid City on April 7th. So make sure you guys get tickets for that. Go to crosspolitic.com forward slash Liberty Tour and you can get all the links, follow all the links to that. I'm really excited about that show. We're also going to do a God and Government uh, workshop that day. Me, Pastor Toby, uh, and Gary Damar uh, uh, during the day. That's free. The show, the live show with Larry Elder that night costs a little money. Um, I have, of course, you all, you guys always already know comedian John Brannon. Good to have you, man. Thanks. And I got Thanks. Sean, author, author, and host of a podcast also, and, and he's a he's a drug lord, too, actually, something oh. <laughs> you'll learn more about. Sean, thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I'm super excited. Yeah, you might as well tell people why I just called you a drug lord. Yeah, I, I, that's a good one, because um, let me just tell you a little bit of history of that, is um, uh, my kids when they would be asking in in school um so what do you what do your parents do because my my wife's a pharmacist also yeah um uh, my parents are drug dealers they're like uh everybody gets silent (laughs) 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 it's not the first time i've been introduced as a drug dealer and um you know but i will say that my wife and i are we are not typical pharmacists we and we'll we'll talk about a little bit about that today you know we we believe in health and wellness and you know the whole big pharma scam and all that kind of stuff we just don't didn't want to go down that road so you know we do something different so yeah and we'll get in more more into that thank you for coming on the show john how'd your week go man it's great it's great, Gabe. I'm. I'll tell you the thing that makes me the happiest is actually being able to hear the Water Break theme song. And uh, you know how many weeks have I been doing this? And I've just have been, been having to imagine what it sounds like, and it's better than I imagined. It was <laughs> all of you people who have been privy to the theme song this whole time. It, it, They've been blessed. Don't even They've know been what blessed. A yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't even know what a blessing. They're is. They're used to the blessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's good. All right, and you're going to come out with us to Rapid City. I am. You're working on your little skit for it. I'm working on my little <laughs> sketch. My little. My Do you little hate that? Do you hate like when, when, when <laughs> finger puppets? When people mm-hmm. think a comedian, uh, and then they and then, then I call and then I say skit. Do you do you just not like that? No, I I, uh, I love it because it's derogatory and it and it's uh, <laughs> a little bit uh, it's a little bit hurtful. And uh, and I like that. Yeah. I feel like I keeps feel you like humble. Keeps you humble. Yeah. You keep, you keep, there's no there's no pretension. That's fine. Um, yeah. Well, uh, folks, this show's brought to you. Brought to you by Accountable to You. Um, using a smartphone or a computer opens the doors to host uh, to host of all sorts of digital temptations, and a world saturated with pornography and harmful content. What's a Christian to do? We need to take a proactive approach, welcoming transparency into our digital media choices, and Accountable to You makes that easy. Their accountability software shares detailed activity reports from all your devices and your kids' devices, underline that, kids' devices in real time, to the accountability partners that you choose. With accountability in place, your family can effectively guard against temptations online and live with purity and integrity. Learn more at Accountability. Uh, to you.com forward slash FLF, you know, fight, laugh, feast, FLF, uh, accountable, accountable, spell that out. Letter two, the number two, not letter number two, U Y O you, you, you know.com forward slash FLF. See, John, this is how you do plugs. So people remember it. There's no right? chance. Anybody is going to be able to find that website. No <laughs> chance. Accountable to you.com forward slash FLF. My goodness. Cannonball or belly flop. The funny thing about water break is that I get to talk about. Yeah, I'm sorry, John. I didn't. I didn't do the splash because I don't. I don't know this new board yet. The funny. The funny thing about water break is that I get to talk about what I'm thinking about and what I'm interested in without the filtering of Knox and Pastor Toby. 
once a week, I get to take those shackles off my feet so I can dance here on Water Break. And I hope you've enjoyed it so far. In my past life, I worked at an economic forum, uh, uh, economic company, and it really helped open my eyes to the discipline of economics and actually how ignorant Christians are of that discipline. The government has done so much damage to our economy and to our culture, and it's constantly doing this in the name of helping us. But ultimately, what we're, what's really going on is our government was incrementally rejecting God and his word. And as a result, it has grasped and taken all sorts of authority that our government should have no business having in the first place. This is particularly the case of our health care system. Health care is the primary responsibility of the family, not the church, not the government, the family. And when we allow third-party actors to come in and intrude in this you know, familial responsibility, well, that, that truck will drive Catawampus down the road and eventually crash. The late P.J. O'Rourke said, If you think health care is expensive now, just wait until it's free. Since the 60s and 70s, the cost of health care has dramatically increased. Increases in cost are always a result of major government intervention. And it happens because that's how God designed it. It, it. God did not design and give authority to the government to take our money in order to pay for our health care. And, and so that that process, is the, the, the co- increase in cost is a design feature because God didn't give them the authority to do it. And they take the authority to do it. And then we get increased costs as kind of a penalty for that problem. A coffee mug makes for a horrible hammer and a hammer makes for a horrible coffee mug. It's a design thing. According to the Brookings Institute, you know, a liberal think tank said 60 years ago, healthcare was about 5% of our economy. And now in 2018, it's about 17 to 18%, more than three times of what it was in the 60s. As an example, in 1950, this actually comes from Sean's book. Uh, no, no, no. I got, I got some stuff from Sean's book coming down. This actually um, doesn't come from Sean's book. But in 1950, it cost about $475 to have a child. And I'm speaking in terms of kind of net present value dollars here. Uh, and now, uh, the numbers I have come from 2016. It cost over $12,000 to have a baby. Net present dollars, $475 to $12,000 to have a baby now. When the government gets involved, prices go up, as I said. When you have 30, third party paying for those services, and that third party is not benefiting from those services, as Sean talks about in his book, that creates all sorts of perverse incentives and junk healthcare experience at the same time. We have significantly increased the cost of our healthcare, while at the same time, our country is getting more and more unhealthy physically, too. Costs go up and our health goes down. That doesn't make sense. I'm excited to have on the show with us today, Sean Needham. Sean and his wife, Janet, own Moses Lake uh, Professional Pharmacy. That's the drug lord. And he's currently a clinical assistant professor at the University of Washington School of Pharmacy and teaches the advanced course, compounding, the, the, the course, advanced compounding course. It's an advanced course. All right. He's spoken on topics across the country from hormone replacement, innovative pain therapies, and marketing a pharmacy, how to market a pharmacy. Sean has a passion for helping patients achieve optimum health via hormone balance and nutrition. He loves to spend time with his family, snowboarding, hiking, mountain biking, and all that fun stuff. Sean is the author, this is why we have him on the show today, of Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. Sean, thanks again for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the introduction. And I tell you, there were so many things when you were talking, you know, that really come out in my book, uh, you know, 60 years ago, what happened 60 years ago to make healthcare expensive? Uh, well, Medicare was enacted in 1964. Mm-hmm. And that's really when the, the trajectory of healthcare got really expensive. Um, so like you say, when a third party's paying for it, it's going to get expensive. If you want it to be free, then it's going to get even more expensive. Yeah. Um, so, Sean, your your book your book actually starts off with you telling us about kind of your your healthcare journey and how you came to the to the conclusion that we were we were doing healthcare all wrong. Um, you know, uh, can kind of kind of walk us through your journey first. Yeah, that's correct. So. Um, you know, I graduated from school in 1994, and um, I was just 
you know, I was excited to be a pharmacist and I we, you know, was educated in traditional pharmacy and um, I didn't know a lot of difference. And um, then, you know, I, I got married, had kids and um, I, my health kind of went downhill. Not kind of. It did. It went downhill. Wow. Um, so in like 2009, 2010 ish, um, I was 60 pounds heavier. I was I was obese. Wow. Yeah. I wanted to be able, my kids were not quite teenagers yet. And I wanted to be able to be active with my kids. I wanted to be healthy with my kids. I wanted to be able to, um, you know, work with them long-term, you know, and play with them long-term. And, you know, I was going down the typical road of a lot of healthcare professionals, uh, overweight, high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol. And if I would have went down that traditional road, I would have been on medications. And, and to this day, I still would have. So, yeah. I decided I want to do something different. And, you know, I lost, uh, at first I lost like 56 pounds wow. and, um, you know, all those symptoms, high blood pressure, high cholesterol patients still like most people are because we aren't educated about how important health and wellness, uh, nutrition, uh, diet exercise is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's just not because the, the system does not reward people for that. The system rewards people for being sick. Yeah. Now that it's, it's interesting that you as a pharmacist, um, took a different route Again? that, that traditionally a pharmacist wouldn't have taken. You would have su- subscribed medication to someone who's obese to help them with their symptoms. Um, how did you kind of come to the conclusion despite the economic incentives that kind of traditionally would drive those decisions how did you kind of come to a kind of a almost a countering conclusion given the culture of the pharmacy industry well the way pharmacists are incentivized is you know to give out medications to people and so they they make money by you know, keeping people sick, whether it be diabetes, whether it be high blood pressure, whether it be high cholesterol, um, that's how they make money. Mm-hmm. So most pharmacists do not want to, you know, go against that. Um, so, but my wife and I decided that we were enabling people's behaviors to just keep giving people 20 different medications when really all they needed to do was to change their diet and change their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you, um, in your book, I'm actually want to bring this up because, uh, you said that there are four milestones that will um, that um, uh, that have drastically impacted our healthcare industry and the driving costs and all that stuff. Um, one was the Social Security Act that was signed by Roosevelt, yeah. and that was in 1935. Um, the other one was uh, President Roosevelt in 1943. Right. And then the Social Security amendments of 1965, and then of course, lastly, Obamacare. Now, everyone, um, because we have such short memories, tends to think Obamacare has been the, had, had the hugest impact on our on our healthcare system. Um, but I mean, maybe even take me back a little bit to um, uh, the 1935 uh, Roosevelt Act, Social Security Act. Absolutely. And and th- this is one that politicians don't want to touch. And a lot of people don't want to touch because, as you know, the government loves to control us. And Social Security is about control. And when it was enacted, it was it's about control. Mm-hmm. And it's not about helping people retire. Mm-hmm. And the Social Security Act was one of the first, you know, big big government programs where it allowed the government to be based in an anti state. Mm-hmm. And without Social Security, Medicare would have never happened. Now I get it. People that are watching this might be thinking, oh, well, you know, Social Security and Medicare are good. No, they're not. I mean, they, they, they control people and they're the biggest Ponzi scheme in the history of man yeah, ever. Right, and they right. make it legal. So Medicare could have never been enacted and Obamacare could have never been enacted really? without Social Security. That's why I went back to Social Security Act. Wow. Yeah. From 1935. Right. Almost 100 years ago. And now that that pressure obviously came from the Great Depression. The Great Depression was happening. The economy was bad. And so they were trying to do a good thing. Um, You know, constant, you know, typical. There's a book called When Helping Hurts. Um, and it's it's con. It, um, there's a couple books on this, like toxic charity uh, stuff like that. But it, basically, the concept is is when when people offer help that actually hurts you, and that's the name of the game for politicians. They're constantly saying, "Oh, we'll fix this. We'll fix yeah. this." 
And so that started in 1935. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And in, what, what really happens is, is politicians enable, enable bad behaviors. And that's what our healthcare system has done. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when, when most people don't pay directly for their health care, mm-hmm. why do they care if they're hundred pounds overweight? Why do they care if they're spending a thousand dollars a month on medication? Mm-hmm. Why do they care if they need a new knee surgery just because they're hundred pounds overweight? They don't mm-hmm. care yeah. because they're not paying for it. Right. So directly, I mean, we all pay for it for yeah. sure. Right. Now, um, later on, you, you start talking about the health care cr- cost crisis that started in 1965. Um, the cost crisis. Explain that to me. Well, th- that's when Medicare was enacted. Mm-hmm. And for instance, here's a good example. I write about it in my book, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How mm-hmm. to Fix It. Um, a few years after Medicare was enacted, um, the uh, in, the utilization of nursing homes went up 700%. Wow. 700% within a few years. That was now, in 1965. Really so within, within a few years of 1965. Yep. Wow. Now, and if you know people in the nursing home industry that were, you know, owned nursing homes back then, it was, I mean, it was a free for all. I mean, there, there was people making millions and millions of dollars. And it was basically, do you think that that many more people needed to be in a nursing home? No. I mean, 700% more within yeah. a few years? Yeah. No. Why? Because people were going to overutilize the system because somebody else was paying the bill. Yeah. Period. And, and what happens there? That is an illustration of the family abdicating their responsibility. I'm not now nursing totally. nursing homes can be a fine solution, but what that did was it incentivized uh you know the son not to house mom and dad in his house. Mom and dad are getting older, and he's like, well, shoot, yep. Medicare will and Medicaid will pay for it. Why not? That's yep. horrible. Yeah, you're exactly yeah, you're exactly right. We we literally families have washed their resp- hands of their own responsibility. Uh, um, it's no different than what we've done, you know, with the government school system. You know, families don't educate. You know, I know families that'll say, "Well, I don't need to read to my kids." I mean, they'll get that when they're in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the problem with when the government takes over. No different than healthcare. Was that stat in your book? Because I, I I missed that stat. Seven hundred percent nursing home utilization. A few years after Medicare was enacted, nursing home utilizations went up seven hundred percent. Wow! I mean, John John yeah. Brandon should almost be in a nursing home at this point, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I'm uh, I'm thinking about the the idea of helping people. Going back to that, yeah. And uh, there there is something. I, I think there's a couple of suggestions in the Bible that we're supposed to take care of people and we're supposed to, we're supposed to be uh, generous and we're supposed to, we're supposed to make sure that people are uh, not without, if we, if we have something that somebody else needs, we're supposed to be able to give it to them. And so the problem isn't, uh, the problem really isn't that the, uh, that people are being, Healthcare is being provided. The problem is that, like you're saying, we're advocating that we're we're putting that on the government rather than taking responsibility ourselves, right? Yeah, and, and I think anytime the government gets involved in anything, whether it be you know education or whether it be healthcare, you know, people just automatically step back and say, "Oh well, the government's going to take care of it. I don't need to do my responsibility anymore." Mm-hmm. And th- and that's part of the problem. And that's why I think the government should just get out of things like that. Yeah, that's right. I was going to say th- the same thing about education. Um, I've done a lot of research on the education side of this. When the department, basically, the Department of Education was for, for, um, started in this in the seventies. Um, it was actually part of a different department before that, but then it, it, fi- it finally became its own department. And since then, the cost of higher education has gone up over a thousand percent. And so when you get the government involved in something they have no business being involved in, this is the result. And it's, it's amazing to me that, that, um, the mantra, uh, when the government gets involved, it, it it's going to make it more expensive. But the politicians constantly sell us the bill of goods and saying we're actually going to bring down cost. Obamacare was a good example. We're going to bring down cost. Well, in your, in your book, I forget the stats, but basically healthcare, monthly healthcare, uh, health insurance went up, premiums went up. Can you talk through some of those stats? Well, yeah. Um, you know, after Obamacare was enacted, you know, that was the, the bill of goods is like, you know, we were sold the bill of goods that it was going to make healthcare affordable. Uh-huh. And here's what it really did is it created, they, they like government does, they create such strict regulations mm-hmm. that 
a lot of insurance companies couldn't meet the regulation. And of course the insurance companies loved it because then in Washington state, I don't remember the exact number at, to start with, there were some insurance companies in Washington state that says, we're just not going to sell healthcare insurance anymore because we can't meet the regulations. Right. So then all of a sudden there's only two companies in Washington state that can meet the regulations. So essentially the government created a monopoly. So what happens? Premiums go up deductibles go up less and less is covered and and sure maybe some people that meet that you know below that income threshold they might get subsidized or free health care but somebody else is really paying for it and it's when we decided we that's when we finally decided we're not going to have traditional health care anymore so we don't have traditional health insurance anymore because i believe it is a scam it is a ripoff i would never recommend it yep yep we're this we're the same way here um We'll get into so, more. I want to. Yeah. I want to get more into the solution side here thing in a minute. But you also brought up pharmacies. Pharmacies had the same problem. Um, there was uh, something like twenty five. N- not pharmacies. Pharmaceutical companies. There was twenty five companies. I think back in the seventies that um, uh, made vaccines. And now there's like five or six companies that make <laughs> vaccines. What happened there to where we had all these companies, and then now we're down to like five or six companies. Well, again, it's it's government regulation. Mm-hmm. I mean, when the government gets involved, they create strict regulations where only certain companies um, are, are going to be able to meet it. So the smaller companies, they just go out and they just say, you know, they don't want to deal with it. Um, they do it in every industry. And um, so then things get more expensive. I mean, they literally, the government is great at creating monopolies wow. or oligopolies at least. And, yeah. and big pharma, that's all big pharma is. Yeah. I mean, they are just a, a, another pocket of the federal government. The FDA and big pharma, they are basically one and the same. Wow. They, 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 neither one would exist without each other. I mean, for sure. There's a revolving door there. They all work for each other. And, um, you know, back in the old days, a hundred plus years ago, when there was no FDA, you know, there were still drug companies around, but you know, there was no government agency to to put their rubber stamp on it. And here's the thing about that. So we're going to trust a government agency to say a drug is good or not, or food is good or Mm -hmm. anything is good. Mm -hmm. When in reality, the, the 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 thing that we should trust is the free market. Yeah. We should trust our neighbors. We should trust our friends. Hey, what what food do you eat? What medication do you take? I mean, because when the government puts their their stamp of approval on something, not one or two people die, millions of people die. Period. What do you mean? Flush that out. Well, so let's say there's a there's a drug. Let's let's say there's a small farmer selling eggs. Okay. Yep. And this is before USDA's stamp approval, all that. So what do you do, Gabe? You you, you ask your neighbor, hey, wh- who do you buy eggs from? Well, I buy eggs from Farmer John um, down the road. Okay, and that's where I'll buy eggs from. And then there was a farmer, you know, that he took care of his neighborhood. He sold eggs to a few dozen houses or whatever. Well, then fast forward to when the USDA puts their rubber stamp of approval on, on egg manufacturing. And you could insert drug manufacturing there, whatever. Okay. Um, now all of a sudden there's an egg maker that, um, distributes millions of eggs to millions of people. Mm -hmm. So if there's a problem with those eggs and the government, now remember they lobbied the government to pay off the government to say their eggs were okay. That's basically what happens. And so, but if their eggs are bad, millions of people die, not just a dozen. Right. Wow. So you could argue that government regulations like that don't make people safer. They make them less safe. And they that's actually, what's happened in our drug industry. There's drugs yeah. that are on the market that kill lots of people, but because they're FDA approved, doctors keep prescribing them. Pharmacists wow. keep dispensing them. Patients keep taking them. Yeah, they got, they got immunity. Because the government approves it, they get immunity. Exactly. Now, now you, I, I thought it was really helpful. Go back to the discussion on, on uh, uh, health insurance. You gave a real good example of of basically if we set had the same setup as like car insurance. Um, uh, walk through the problem with uh, health insurance, and and then walk through your scenario of how you laid it out with uh, talking about car insurance. Yeah, so let me back up just a little bit about how where where health insurance, where employer sponsored health insurance really started. Uh-huh. It started before Medicare, actually, but again, it was another government regulation in the nineteen forties. We're in World War Two. And inflation is about ready to go crazy because everybody's building stuff for the war, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so our wonderful president, the same guy that enacted uh, Social Security, FDR, FDR yeah. yeah, he says, well, you know what? We don't want wages to go out of the sky high, so we're going to do a wage freeze. So General Motors 
you know, if they've got an assembly line worker and Ford has an assembly line worker, they can't pay them. They can't say, Hey, you come to work for me and I'll pay you, you know, 50 yeah. cents more an hour or, or whatever, a week right. or whatever it was back then. They can't do that because the government set the wage. So they say, wow. I got this new benefit. It's called hospital insurance. Mm-hmm. You come to me, come to work for Ford. And I'm just using example. I don't know which one it was. Come to work for me and I will give you hospital insurance. If you have a baby, it's covered. And if you're, if you have, your kid has appendicitis, it's covered, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So that's where hospital insurance started. Health insurance started. But fast forward, you know, 60, 70 years later. Um, it doesn't cover hospitalizations. What does it cover? Well, you go to the doctor. It yeah. covers a you know seventy five dollar doctor fee. Yeah. It covers you know everything. People want everything covered. Yep. Now imagine if our auto insurance was like this. And I've got a great video on our YouTube channel, the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube channel, auto insurance versus health insurance. It's a great video. So get this. All right, I wreck my car, and I'm like, whew. I am glad I have insurance for my car. My car's totaled. I'm glad I have insurance for my car. But then I'm going in and I'm like, wait a minute. I'm buying tires for my car and they're going to be like $1,400. I am going to pay $1,400 out of my pocket. My employer sponsored car insurance. If it worked like health insurance, my employer's insurance should pay for my tires. Right. Okay. Next thing I know, I'm getting gas and it's costing me like 50 bucks to get gas. <laughs> you know what? I should not pay for gas in my car. Yeah. My employer's auto insurance should pay for my car. Right. Okay. I negotiate with my employer. Next thing you know, my tires are $10,000. I pay a $2,000 deductible and everything else is more expensive, but boy, it's covered. Right. 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 That's exactly what's happening in healthcare. Wow. I mean, healthcare insurance was not meant to cover every day to day item. Like, like for instance, doctors going to a doctor is not expensive. Right. You know, right. people will buy a, a $5 latte every day, but they won't pay a hundred dollars to go to a doctor. Right. I mean, it's ridiculous. Right. You know, they'll pay a hundred dollars a month for a cell phone, but they won't pay a hundred dollars to go to a doctor. Right. Doctors aren't expensive. I get it. If you have cancer or if you get in a big accident or something, you want something covered. I get it. Um, but there's a way around it other, other than traditional health insurance because traditional health insurance, even for catastrophic stuff, is a scam. It's a ripoff. Wow. Well, let's, let's get to that. Let's get to that solution side of things. Um, uh, how, if, if the FDA is not around, um, what would be the solution? Who would be monitoring uh, the, the, the quality of a drug or something? Consumers. Like consumers do with everything else, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, d- does the FDA tell you what good food is and, and bad food is? I mean, the USDA tries, right. but do you trust them? No. You know, consumers, a free market works. I mean, when you go out and buy a computer, you have to do some research to whether it's a computer or a car. Yeah. Does the FDA have to tell us if it's a good car or not? No, we decide how much we want to spend, what options we want, yeah. what, what side effects of the car, how expensive it is to operate. Right. We can't do that with, with our own bodies with putting That's a drug right. in it. That's right. Absolutely we can. And we talk to our friends and we talk to other healthcare professionals. Yeah. That's the way in a free market. Free markets work. The government needs to get out of the way. Okay, so how do you t- how do you think about your work as a pharmacist and the available drugs that we have and and, and our health? Um, how do you kind of synthesize all of this together? Yeah. Well, first of all, my wife and I, 20 years ago, we decided we want to do something different than a traditional dispensed medic, regular medications, like a regular pharmacist. First of all, it's not very professionally rewarding. They're basically pill counters and they're basically insurance copay collectors. But also the worst part of it is, is you're giving out medication to people and just enabling their bad, their bad habits in a lot of ways. So, you know, if a diabetic is, you know, they're type two diabetic and they're 150 pounds overweight, you think giving a medication is going to help them? Right. No. They need to, you need to educate them. They need to lose weight. They need to change their diet. They need to exercise. They need to get good sleep, all those things. So instead of enabling bad behaviors, we want to do something different. So now along with that, we also own a specialty pharmacy. So we don't do hardly any traditional drug therapy at all. We, we, we mostly compound customized hormones, which is a part of the puzzle. Hormones can make you healthy, healthy as you age and prevent a lot of um, long-term problems. Um, so you don't have to be on medications and it's a piece of the puzzle to go along with diet, exercise, proper sleep, all those things, which we talk about on our podcast all the time. Interesting. All right. So um, uh, you, you guys actually make in-house your own custom 
uh, medication? That is correct. Oh, wow. and, and, you know, that's really nothing new. Uh-huh. It's actually the path to pharmacy. Um, and it's the present and it's the future, in my opinion. Because yeah. what happened in the 1950s, post-FDA, mm-hmm. back in the early 1900s, I, I've, I've had the privilege of working with pharmacists who, who worked back then, you know, early yeah. on in my career. Yeah. And everything was compounded, mm-hmm. you know. It wasn't until the 1950s when the Legend Drug Act was passed and largely pharmacists became dispensers of medication. Uh-huh. And that's basically what they are now is they're just pill counters and insurance copay collectors. Wow. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. So, uh, um, talk, uh, you know, insurance solutions. What do we do? What do we do yeah. with our insurance? So first of all, in my book, chapter six is, is a six step solution on how to fix the system. And the first one is the first step. I'm just going to give a little bit of a way. Please, is, please. Yeah. The first step is we need as healthcare professionals, as anybody, we need to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. Mm -hmm. And the quote I make in chapter six is this, and it's my quote, the best health insurance we have is not some policy that we can buy. It's how we take care of ourselves. Period. That trumps everything. That's right. Everything. So that's the first step is you need to empower patients and educate them to um, take care of their own, take charge of their own health. Yeah. And there's five other solutions. One of the solutions is, is get away from traditional healthcare insurance. Yeah. It, it's a ripoff. It's a scam. Right. Yes. If your employer gives it to you, um, I suggest, and, and, and I've, I've heard of this happening now. I suggest you go to them and say, Hey, you know what? This is a ripoff. Yep. I don't want this traditional health insurance. You're paying a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just do this? I'll say, give you some money. You give me 500 bucks a month and I'll decide what kind of insurance I want. Yeah. Cause by the way, do you want to, do you want an employer dictating what kind of health insurance you have? Yeah. I don't, right. I don't, I don't want anybody dictating that because they don't know what's best for you. You need to take the money yourself and right. decide what's best. Right. And I would never, ever, never is a strong word, but I wouldn't traditionally usually recommend traditional health insurance. Mm-hmm. And um, there's things out there called health sharing ministries. Yep. Yep. And there's even some of them that are non faith based. Yeah. Um, uh, I've been with some, we've been with Samaritan ministries. We're with Christian, mm-hmm. Christian healthcare right now. And, and we love them and, yep. and they work mm-hmm. and they work. And you know what the haters out there, they'll say, well, what if you, what, you know, what if you get some catastrophic event and blah, 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 because they, they max out at $250,000 and all yep. this. And everyone's a little bit different. Yep. Well, first of all, this is what I say. You know, what? I'll be honest with you, Gabe. I've got Christians that tell me that I've had pastors that tell me that, yeah. Oh, you got to have insurance. That doesn't, Oh, wow. What if you got that big claim? It's like, wait a minute. Who, who's, who's the best, who's the major, the best physician in the world ever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Jesus, right? Pas- oh. Pastors got to follow okay. that one. I mean, yeah. so first of all, don't you trust that? Yeah. And believe me, I, I've tried to talk to pastors where, you know, you're at a bigger church and healthcare expenses is a big expense. I say, Hey, here, you can save $40,000 a year. Oh, we can't do that, man. I, I just, I don't, I don't know. No health insurance. Well, you're not trusting God if that's the case, but so, and, and so health sharing ministry, my wife and I, we pay $170 a month for, for both of us, yeah, right. $170 a month. Yep. And we get to decide where we go to the doctor, what hospitals we go. We can decide what procedures we want, what, how much we want to pay. We can negotiate our prices. Yep. It's beautiful. Yeah. That's how free market should work. So the, the way the way I we do this is um, I like uh, Samaritan Ministries, Christian. I've, I've, I've worked with both those. Um, I like having the sharing ministry um, side of it, but then we also work with a drug primary care situation. So we just pay. Um, I forget. I forget the cost. It's um. Yep. I think it's just two hundred dollars a month to the to our drug primary care doctor. And and then we have constant access to them. That's for my whole family. It usually costs about a hundred seventy five dollars for one doctor visit, and we're paying two hundred dollars a month for direct primary care. And the service is fantastic. And we have access. We text. He'll come to our house. I mean, it, like it's the, the it's incredible. So between having you know direct primary care and having um, you know a sharing ministry, that's our that's our healthcare package, and it's way cheaper. And I got real service behind it. And you got control of it. That's right. You know, if you have traditional health insurance, they tell you where to go, what to pay, everything. Yeah. And, you know, in my book, you gave a little bit of it away. One of the solutions is, too, is that doctors doctors get out of the system. Yeah. And so you've got a great doctor there in yeah. Moscow. I know him very well. Yeah. And he uh, 
it's a great system. Direct primary care. That's one of the solutions in my book. Doctors need to get out of the healthcare system yeah. and, and, and really treat patients the way they should mm-hmm. until of, in, instead of listening to how health insurance tell them how to take care of patients. That's really good. Um, how about, okay, last, last, uh, one. And then we're going to, we're going to get in this segment that we call news. John Brainian can trust. So hold on, hold on there for a minute. News. John Brainian can trust. And you get to, you get to play with us, Sean. Um, right. uh, hospitals how do we deal uh, what's the solution for for hospitals i, I mean they're um there's they're big they're regulated i i would love to see you know all the hospitals started actually were christian ministries that's why you have the presbyterian hospitals the methodist hospitals the the saint hospitals the roman catholic hospitals is largely yeah. started from christians and then they sold all these hospitals off to to big big corporate corporations um are we even allowed to start hospitals anymore i mean i feel like i feel like like it's a, kind of a funny question, but I, I didn't even know like you could do compounding, you know, medication. You can actually develop your own medication in house. I, I didn't even think that was legal. But anyways, go. Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, yeah. Um, well, for, first, you know, hospitals did start out originally to take care of people and they've lost their mission for sure. Big time. And largely you can look at, yeah, largely you can look at government regulations and can we start our own hospital? No, we can't. You know why? Because most states have what's called a certificate of need law and they basically create government says where hospitals can be. And if you don't have that certificate of need, you can't be paid by Medicaid. You can't be paid by Medicare. Um, and but, so but it's a hey, real so quick, do you have to do you have to get that certificate of need? Because I, what if I start a hospital that doesn't take Medicaid or Medicare, doesn't participate in that system? Can I do that? Well, yeah. Here's the thing. So you know, eighty five percent of most procedures in hospitals are elective. People think hospitals you have to go to them, but for your elective surgeries, knee surgery, hip surgery, most surgeries are elective. Most times you go to a hospital, it's elective. So you know, you go to doctor, you go to a doctor hospital. Stay away from a hospital. If we educate our our consumers to take charge of their own health and to shop with their pocketbook, they can largely stay out of a hospital except for emergencies, and that's a very small portion of it. Yeah. And so I, we could set up uh, surgical centers like the guy in Oklahoma. I, I know you mentioned him in, in his in your book. We had him on the show. Yep. Um, really loved talking to him. Uh, so we, we can set up surgical centers, but we couldn't. Could we set up like emergency room situations, hospitals, without participating in Medicaid, Medicare? Is that is that legal? Well, th- th- that's not a good question for me. That's a better question for Dr. Smith from Surgery Center of Oklahoma. But if you look at the model that he followed, there is somebody kind of right across the street from him that set up their own hospital and has an emergency room. And he works with Dr. Smith for ho- for patients that need to stay overnight and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, let's remember this, Gabe. The free market always wins no matter what kind of government regulations there are. Yeah. The free market will always win. Interesting. Um, because that's just what happens. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, John, do you have any questions for him before we move into news that you can trust? Um, I, I don't know if this is a question. I'll try to frame it as a question. Um, is, is it true to say that the, one of the primary barriers between uh, people taking charge of their own health care, the way you put it, um, is, is basically fear. I mean, it, I mean, there's, a, I, I've talked to a lot of people who are like, I have to have my medication. What am I going to do if Medicare, if Medicare didn't provide for my medication, then I would not be alive today at this moment speaking to you. Um, it isn't, is it true that, yeah. that a lot of people are, are just afraid that, to, to do something radical like what you're suggesting uh, would, would be the end of them, that they would die. Yeah. Now, now, first of all, without knowing this specific, this specific drug, that could be true. Um, but here's again, let, let me just use some examples. Um, let's say they have a, and this is very common in the healthcare industry. Let's say they have a drug that's keeping them alive um, because they smoked for 40 years and now they're on a drug to help their lungs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we should educate them 40 years ago that smoking's bad for them. Now, here's the other thing, John. If, 
if, and, and a lot of those patients still might be overweight. They might be still drinking. They might be still smoking. Mm-hmm. If, it, if those drugs cost them nothing, what incentive do they ever have to get better? Yeah. Right. People mm-hmm. have to have skin in the game, period. That's right. Period. And, and, and you're telling me, I already use the example of diabetes. I'll use another one. You're telling me that you can be 150 pounds overweight and you can take this medication for your blood pressure to, to, that's going to supposedly save your life. I ain't buying it. I ain't buying it. Right. I don't care what drug company studies said that um, you need to lose weight. I can tell you need to lose weight. I don't care what your blood pressure is. Mm-hmm. You need to lose weight. You're not healthy. Um, you know, I mean, that's what we need to start telling people. Yeah. People have to have skin in the game. And first of all, if they do and they're paying for it, John, the drug won't be expensive. I will tell you just a quick story. When I first got out of pharmacy school, a lot of people don't know this. When I first got out of pharmacy school, their Medicare did not pay for drugs. At all. This is in my book. So guess what happened when Medicare yeah, Medicare Part D got passed in 2000 and something. I don't remember. 2002, 2007. I can't remember. Okay. It's in my book. And after Medicare Part D got passed, the price of prescription drugs went up 19% in one year. Mm-hmm. Of course it did. When I first got out of pharmacy school, we had, as pharmacists, we had to worry about pricing for seniors. Now you don't, you don't have to worry about it. So drug companies and pharmacies don't care about prices anymore for seniors because somebody else is paying the bill. Mm, right. So if, if, if Medicare got out of it, drugs would go down, the price of drugs would go down immediately. Wow. 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 That, yeah. Well, I agree with you. I, I just don't think that people, I don't think that, that people have a tendency to take personal responsibility for things. <laughs> and so <laughs> if we have a, you know, if we have, I, I don't think the government is going to pull out of it. I don't think the government's going to have a sudden uh, conscious, you know, um, revelation and they're going to go, you know what we're doing? We're actually not helping people. We, we need to, we need to back away from that. I don't think that's going to happen. So, I think it's going to be, yeah. So, I well, I will so, tell you, I'm, I'm not super optimistic, John, and thanks for the comment, John, but I'm not, I'm not super optimistic about that, but here's the, and I use this in my book because the last two steps to fix the healthcare system are the toughest ones. And it's basically, we got to get rid of Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah. Now here's one of the things, John, the truth is we can't afford it. We are, we are broke. It, 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 we cannot pay for it. We, there are way too many people that are going to be on Medicare and Medicaid that we can't pay for That's the first. Here's the second one. When any politician says, Oh, we can't get rid of it now. And whether you like this or not, this is just a true fact. Well, alcohol used to be illegal and we repealed that. So don't tell me we can't repeal social security. Yeah. Don't tell me we can't. Yeah. We've done big, we've done bigger things than that. That's right. Yep. That's really good. All right. Let's get into news that John Branion can trust. We need this. We need news that we can trust. Mm-hmm. And, and we need John's, especially news that John can trust. You, you, you hear the clap, John? I do. I'm super skeptical. <laughs> if I can trust it, anybody can trust it. So a HuffPo writer, you know. I, I trust it already. We're, we're starting with Gabe. <laughs> HuffPo writer. Yeah. Perfect. Thinks she has the solution to higher gas prices. This is what she tweeted out. This comes from Ann Brenoff. Ann Brenoff. She said the solution is ride a bike, walk, get an electric bike, move closer, get solar. Need more solutions? That's That was her solution to the high gas prices. Did you hear Stephen Colbert's solution? Or... I did, and I think go go ahead and and say what it what it was. You say it. Well, you're talking about his, he 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 said I I wouldn't mind paying fifteen dollars yep. a gallon because I drive a Tesla. That's right. Okay, right. Now, I heard that. Yeah. Now, I I think we need to give Stephen Colbert the benefit of the doubt. I am not a Stephen Colbert fan, but but that's a great joke. Why? A great joke. I did not like that joke. I thought it was. It's a, go, give it to why, me. Why didn't you, no, why didn't you like it? Uh, it, I, it was total elitist. Um, you know, um, and it, uh, it was just. Yeah, I mean, he's he's trying to make a joke about higher gas prices, and then he says, "I drive a Tesla," and all these people, all these people are having to deal with the gas prices, not him. Right, right. That's why it's a great joke. If if I had made that joke on on stage with you, mm. it would have killed. If I would have said the elites don't care about gas prices because they all drive Teslas, 
Yeah, it would have it, it would have been it would have brought the house down. It's it's true. It's a great joke because it's true. He's Ooh. making. <laughs> He's Ooh. mocking. He's mocking the elites, and he's even admitting that he's one of them. Wow! It's a, it's a great joke. So, do you think he was really um, mocking the elites in that? I, so that's what I didn't yes. gather. Okay, so you were actually thinking he was mocking the elites. Okay, well then, I, I think I, I, he's not an idiot. He's he's yeah. smart enough to know. He's smart enough to understand what's funny about that joke and, yeah. and how and who it's going to resonate with. Right, and and so the, it's. It's a, it's a good joke. I, uh, I'm not a Stephen Colbert fan, but that's a great joke. That that helps. That actually makes it funny to me when you say if he's mocking the elites, including himself. That's good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One guy responded in uh, to the tweet from Ann, and he said, "I will deliver my two hundred two thousand pounds of flooring on my bike." <laughs> yeah okay this this article that you're reading right now this is this is a joke but it's for a different reason she doesn't realize that she'd be it's not a solution to high gas prices to tell people to not use gasoline that doesn't solve the problem right you know right you don't you don't fix it by just riding your bike or staying home what would be what would be um uh all right you're with you're with colbert you're up on stage uh, how are you mm-hmm. looking at this situation? You know, high gas prices, Ukraine, inflation. Oh, well, I th- I think that the gas prices are are deliberate. I think it's intentional. They mm-hmm. have they've been telling us for a long time that they don't like oil yeah. and they don't like gasoline and they don't like um, combustion engines and so they they've been saying openly we are going to we are going to transition away from oil. And so, it, so it makes sense to me that gas prices are going to go through the roof mm-hmm. because they said we're transitioning away from oil. Mm-hmm. And so, what they do is, if gas prices go to seven, eight, nine, ten, fifteen dollars a gallon or whatever, yeah. then people are going to go, "Yeah, I got to get rid of my car." I mean, we need we need an electric solution here. And then the government's going to come in and go, "Hey, we're so glad we're here for you. Here's all here's all the electric cars that you're going to be driving right. from now on." Sean, and, uh, you're welcome. Sean, were you one of those 80 million people that voted for Biden? <laughs> <laughs> I, how many t- I, I how prefer many not to disclose who I vote for in public. <laughs> <laughs> how many times did you vote for Biden, Sean? <laughs> right. That's right. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. So news that John Brandon can trust. Uh, this one's actually, I mean, this is real. It, you know, it's actually from not to be. So, you know, it's real news. Um, and it's also very sad because I'm, I'm actually flying, traveling these next couple of months. Um, the TSA is going to extend the mask mandate an extra month to, I think it's April, April 15th or April 18th now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. And apparently, so they can examine the science. Well, they're, uh, yeah, they haven't they, they haven't really had a chance to uh, to look at what the science where the science is. Yep. being a government agency and everything, um, <laughs> and it's going to be even harder to figure out what the science is since apparently uh, Fauci is not even on the planet anymore. Yeah, he's disappeared. Uh, right, where is he? <laughs> I mean, how are we supposed to know what the science is going to say when Fauci's he, he's gone? He's disappeared. Sean, how did how did you process the whole coronavirus, COVID shutdown, masking uh, stuff? Well, you know, the first couple of weeks, you know, I'm in healthcare, and, and it's it's a little bit easier to get healthcare people to, to buy into their fears and. And, you know, I, I and I believe me, I, I rethink my entire education now, especially after the last two years. Wow. Um, so for the first couple of weeks, I bought it. Yeah. Yeah. And my, my wife, she's a lot smarter than I am. She didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. She didn't buy it from day one. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I look back now, Gabe, the entire thing is a scam. I'm not saying COVID-19 is not real. Sure. Yeah. I'm not saying people didn't die from it. Yeah. But it's really interesting that the flu went away all of a sudden. And when you look at the, the, the real numbers... There's a lot of people that tested positive for COVID-19, but they never got sick. Right. There are a lot of people that their deaths were listed as COVID-19, were listed as COVID-19 deaths, and they died of um, in-state, in-stage COPD. Mm-hmm. So I'm not buying the numbers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it was another way for the – speaking of gas, so the government likes to control our movements, right? Mm-hmm. So the government shuts the economy down, tells us to stay home, and then that, 
that worked for a couple of years. Now the price of gas goes up to five bucks a gallon. Yeah. They control our movements. Yeah, right. Man, you um uh, uh just took a funny segment and made it serious all of a sudden. <laughs> how did how, how did how did how, what were you what was your education on masking? Well, I did actual video on it. First of all, you know, masks were never, especially the type of masks that we've been told to wear, they were never meant to to uh, filter out viruses, period. They, they're, they're way too small of particles to filter out viruses. Perfect example is, you know, why do people, you know, scientists that work in biology labs, they wear biohazard suits with special filtration. Yeah. It's that's a silly cloth mask that goes on your face. Not even an N95. An N95 can filter out tuberculosis bacteria, but not virus, part, not viruses viruses are too small it's it's ridiculous and and two masks stop Mm -hmm. stop with the insanity this covid theater it's all theater and it has to stop wow okay so you would be so you would be in favor of extending the masks on airplanes (laughs) oh yeah i would love to (laughs) i'm just trying to be clear okay that's great all right, so this this last uh, article here, news that John Brainy can trust, um, uh, is actually there's not much here. It's just funny. Um, apparently, when Angela Merkel signed uh, the Nord the Nord Stream deal with Russia, so the Nord Stream deal is the pipeline from Russia to uh, Germany. Okay, well when when that happened, when Angela Merkel signed that uh, pipeline deal, um, Trump. Uh, sent her a white flag as a gift of surrendering to to Vladimir Putin, and kind of congratulating her that she's surrendering to Vladimir Putin and everything. That that's that's funny. And that was when he was president, and that's real news. That's why that came that came from Trump's mouth. Wow. Well, here's your white flag. He's, uh, you know, I, I wasn't. I wasn't on board with absolutely everything that Trump said, but I I don't think that it's a bad thing when you have when you have politicians and leaders who are willing to be uh, politically incorrect. I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> well, I, I agree with that, John. And here's what I was talking to my brother today. And you know, no matter where I lie or anybody lies with with um, Trump, I I kind of hope he runs for president again because it's very entertaining. I mean, you, you cannot lie. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Yeah. It's very entertaining when, when he runs. I mean, the 2016 and 2020 elections were per examples. He's he's a good entertainer. Yeah. You know, uh, I was just yeah. talking to a buddy the other day about this. Um, it, before 20, before, after Biden got elected, I thought, you know, if, if Trump ever ran again, he's he's not electable anymore. He couldn't, he couldn't win. Um, but with Everything that's gone down this last year, I'm like, man, Biden actually made might have made Trump reelectable again. Yeah, like, that's how crazy it is. Well, yeah. hey, Sean and John, <laughs> thank you for joining us on the water break. Appreciate you guys, John. Oh, we're off next week, or you're off. You're off next week. I'm, I'm letting you off the hook. You're working. Next, I was going to say yeah. I could come in and do a water break. I could carry the water. <laughs> we should have you just do a water you're break all by yourself someday. Hey, it's water break with not the water boy, <laughs> but comedian John Brannion. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to catch our Sunday special. It's going to be kind of a little special, special Sunday special this Sunday night. And then, of course, next week, you'll, our Sunday special will be the Fort Worth show. So thank you for tuning in. This is the water break with the water boy and John Brannion. Until Hello. next week, John, until next week, go fight, laugh, and feast. Love God and all that Knox says at the end of our cross-politics shows. <laughs> Thank you so much.